Welcome to My Movie Minute, the podcast in which co-host Mark and myself, and occasionally guests, pick one minute from the movies we love and dissect and adjust them in front of a microphone. This week, we do have a special guest and also a great movie minute to talk about, so we do hope you enjoy episode 22. What about you, bruh? What about me? Do you ever look at someone and wonder what is going on inside their head? Who are you? Are we enemies? Why am I on this wall? Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Trinity, Eli, you boy. We mostly come at night. Mostly. And we are, very excitingly, back in the room for today's My Movie Minute podcast. Yes, we are. We are. Physically here with each other in three dimensions rather than on a screen. So yeah, it's nice to nice to be back with you, Mark. It's slightly surreal. Yeah, yeah. I think I need to put my fingers up in a in a way that <laughs> creates a, a rectangle. Yes, we have suddenly become like our own movies. We're framed by the screen, <laughs> and that's and that's us. Um, I'm very excited about today, Charlie. Uh, I am very very excited for two reasons. Um, but you can deal with the first reason why I'm excited. Yeah, I think we share the first. The first is. Um, we have another guest on this week, which is very, very exciting. And to kind of round off our feelings set of, <laughs> set of, set of episodes, we have uh, joining us today, our second counsellor on the My Movie Minute podcast. Uh, we're joined today by Emily Elliott, who is a uh, colleague of ours. Indeed. Uh, and is a counsellor. Hello, Emily. Hello, guys. Thank you for having me. I'm very honoured to be here. Before we get stuck into your movie, which is the second thing I'm very excited about, I'm not going <laughs> to hold back listeners. I'm ridiculously excited about the movie that we're talking about today. But um, I'm also keen uh, to talk a little bit about an episode that we released a few weeks ago that listeners will know about, in which uh, I spoke about Inside Out. <laughs> <laughs> and and we've already had one counsel on the podcast uh, talking about this with me, but that wasn't enough. I needed a second one. So for anyone who hasn't listened to this episode, this is Charlie barely containing all of his feelings, um, both positive and, you know, a version of negative about uh, how that film makes him feel. Uh, Emily, I presume you've seen Inside Out. I have indeed. Yes. Um, and yeah. can can you imagine why uh, Charlie might get all emotional about it? <laughs> oh, gosh. Where do I start with Inside Out? Uh, I think it's a beautiful film. Why would Charlie love it so much? It's it's totally what Charlie gives space for, I think. Yeah. You're, dead, you're dead right. So I, yeah. I consider this film like uh, a key or a safe cracker to Charlie. Like it knows all of the, the little wiggles you need to do to unlock him. Yeah. Uh, it pushes all of his buttons. Yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think I said at the time, I think, I think Pixar have got like a, a panel, mm. like, the, like the emotions inside out. That's plugged directly into my brain. Because it's not just inside out. It's like any Pixar movie um, just, just leaves me in pieces. Uh, they've got some sort of magic that's going on. But I think, I think the interesting thing is kind of more generally and, and, and moving away from Inside Out a little bit, like we, we've talked a lot about films that are really nostalgic to us. So, you know, mm. our first episode was like Jurassic Park and certain things. There's two key areas really, like... Early to mid 90s and the year 2000, <laughs> basically. It seems to be kind of films we keep on going back to. And I was just mm. interested in kind of 
that that link between kind of films and emotions and, mm. and how you kind of a lens through which you see the world and everything like that and as a mm. counselor if that's something that ever com- comes into play for you when working working with people oh totally if I for example don't when a client brings up a film and I've not watched it I have to go and watch it I have to understand their references so that's a big thing for me but and obviously I can't say too much just yet but nostalgia plays a massive part in the film that I've chosen as well um yeah, it's hugely connected to my childhood in some way. And yeah, I think there's something very powerful about those early years and teen years, definitely, that, that sort of imprints. And yeah, there's something that stays with you. But can we go deep on why Charlie wouldn't choose the moment that he wanted to choose, though? Can we, can we go deep <laughs> on why Charlie bottled it on, on picking a so, moment? So, so basically, uh, I, I picked... It was only the third episode that we recorded together um, and we ended up releasing it only very recently um, as a kind of archive episode. And I, I picked the moment when uh, the, the blue spheres turned to yellow spheres. No, the other round. What am I talking about? The yellow spheres turned to blue spheres towards the end of the movie. But my actual favourite minute from that film is uh, Bing Bong. Bing Bong's final moments. But I can't talk about I, I can't talk about getting, me. I can't talk about upset. it. <laughs> I, I listened to a podcast that talked about Bing Bong, and I'm, I'm crying over somebody talking about Bing Bong. So I can't talk about myself. So yeah, I I, I completely bottled it and chose mm. and chose not my favourite moment from Inside mm-hmm. Out to talk about. And then tried to sabotage the whole thing and keep it from the audience. We had to hold on to that for nearly <laughs> nearly a half a year <laughs> before Charlie would even let it out. Um, but we're not here to talk about. Uh, Bing Bong. Bing Bong. Um, Emily has bought along a film. And uh, in my movie minute fashion, uh, has written a description with no giveaways and uh, no hints for the audience. So, guess, and Emily, if you wouldn't mind uh, reading your description of your minute for us. So, a man in a spacesuit is floating through a room. There is a strong white noise like crickets and slow laboured breathing. The chamber is red and the man is slowly taking out white files one by one. I've still got the greatest enthusiasm and confidence in the mission. And I want to help you. Dave. Stop. Stop, will you? Stop, Dave. Will you stop, Dave? The glee, like, <laughs> this is an audio medium, ladies and gentlemen, and it does not do justice to the glee that Charlie is displaying He's right now. fizzing with energy. Uh, you have chosen a clip from uh, 
in my opinion, one of the greatest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's let the listeners out of their misery. If they haven't guessed from that clip, and I think most of them will have, what movie are we talking about today? A Space Odyssey 2001. Fantastic. I am going to say now, at the beginning of this episode, <laughs> never watched it. Oh, my. You've missed out. Oh, my goodness. Well, for Mark... Uh, and some other listeners who haven't seen it, but mostly for Mark, because I'm sure most <laughs> our listeners have. Um, can you uh, uh, put this minute that you've chosen, which is a fantastic minute from a fantastic film, can you put it in some sort of context for us? So what is kind of going on in this scene for someone who hasn't seen his other one's Space Odyssey? Okay, I'll try my best. So in this scene, uh, the, the scientist, Dr. David Bowman, is deactivating a computer, a sentient computer, a computer with feelings. And this is because the HAL has actually murdered the crew. And yeah, it's a really slow moment. And it's uh, so as as he's taking out the files and slowly yeah, taking the life away from Hal. Um, Hal is saying in his sort of robotic voice, I'm, I'm afraid, Dave. Yeah, you essentially see a, the, the, the slow removal of thoughts, mm. emotions, memories, like mm-hmm. play out over. And the, the full clip, uh, you've chosen the first minute of a kind of extended sequence that goes on about five minutes. Mm. You kind of see Hal regress. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and the interesting bit uh, is that, that by the end, he goes almost into infant stage. Yeah, he, he does. Singing. He starts to go, his, so his voice goes a bit deeper, he goes a bit slower, and then he starts to, and he says something like, um, you know, I've been programmed to, I was programmed to sing a song, and he starts doing that daisy, daisy tune, which is um, a big thing, and, it's, and it goes down to, practically nothing and it's like seeing someone being slowly strangled or hearing someone being the life taken away it's 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 so weird it's a really stressful scene yeah yeah stressful and and you know not unlike the bing bong scene like really Mm. really sad Mm -hmm. um now I'm going to ask a question quite early on that that's similar to a question that we asked a previous guest Sean um but I think it's important to get out there. Like, mm-hmm. is Hal the villain in 2001 Space Odyssey or not? Oh, that's a tricky question, Charlie. I, I, I don't know. There's such a lot of ambiguity in that film deliberately. I think I, I know that when I first, because I, I think I've only watched it actually maybe three or four times, but and at very different ages. And initially I thought he was. But I, I know there are theories that he actually is the the in a in a film where the humans hardly speak and there's a real sort of clinical scientific type of you know it just feels that actually Hal is the only one that does come across as having feelings and empathy in a way that the others don't so it's it's, it's just really odd that that's that's my my reading of it as mm. well and, and and you know for for people who haven't who can't picture Hal Hal is a a circle with a red dot in the middle. Mm. That is that a circle with a red dot in the middle that doesn't move. Mm. Um, and yet, like, this is a film full of humans mm. in which 
I get to the end of it and think the only one that I felt any empathy through was mm. a circle with the dot. Now that's a powerful bit of filmmaking of itself. And as you heard in the clip, like the the noise, the voice that Hal go, goes through. Mm. But like he's Hal's a murderer. He kills one of the members of the crew. Um, but you almost picked a different clip. Can you talk about the clip that you almost picked? Because that kind of for me explains why you empathise with this cold blooded. Yeah, Killer. yeah, absolutely. So the the film, I, the, the scene I nearly picked was um, when the the two scientists decide they're going to uh, they 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 think there's something malfunctioning with Hal, and they want to have a private conversation. So they go off into a pod, and then uh, and they they I can't remember what they do, but they they think they're they're sealed off from Hal overhearing them. But actually, we see this scene through Hal's round red eye, and it's one of the few times that you see Hal's point of view like yeah. you constantly see Hal throughout this film you see the circle with the red dot but in this one moment um, and I appreciate I'm talking about not the moment you picked but an earlier moment but um, you see through Hal's lens mm, and, and, and it's a Hal point of view shot mm-hmm. and anyway sorry I interrupted you yeah and it's again it's a really dramatic scene because you're you know they think they're in they're having this secret conversation but um, it's switching the 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 camera then goes to their mouths and you realise that Hal is actually lip reading. And so there's there's such tension there. They think it's private, they think it's secret, but it's about about actually deactivating Hal, isn't it? Yeah. It's so, so he's witnessed two people mm, saying that they're going to kill him. Yes. And then he goes into yeah. self-preservation mode where he starts to knock off the yeah. the, 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 the crewmates who, 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 you know, have, have, have said in front of him mm. that they're going to they're they're kill him. Um, mm mm-hmm. Now, coming back to this scene, like, and maybe, maybe not necessarily in the clip that we've, we've, we've done, but certainly later on when he does regress and starts singing, mm. like, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that Hal is suffering. Like, yeah. But the contrast there, can you say a little bit about the contrast with the, with the man in the spacesuit? The kind of, the, the main yeah, character? totally. Because, so yeah, as Hal's sort of losing his voice, it's getting slower, it, he's strugg- it appears he's struggling as the files are being taken out. David, the the scientist, is actually is hardly saying anything at all. He's just breathing, and and it and saying nothing, looking very determined. And it it feels like he's well, it just feels like he's cold. He's if he is angry, that that I interpret it is that he was angry, but there's a clinical coldness there. Whilst Hal is actually his life's ebbing away, so it, it's so weird. One is it should be the other way around. It feels so I don't know dissonant. Is that the word? It yeah. just feels all wrong, and yeah. it's bathed in red, which makes you just feel like blood. You know, yeah. it, it's it's so cleverly. Yeah, that's an interesting. That's an interesting thing. Actually, is that is that that you've got this sort of uh, piece of AI that, as we said, is a circle mm. with a red dot in the middle, but the death scene of this, yeah. of this piece of AI is done in a red room mm-hmm. um, and you know Stanley Kubrick and red and all that sort of stuff yeah. there's a lot of themes going on there um, but yeah it, I, I, I appreciate that in terms of the the cold clinical scientificness mm. of the human character mm-hmm. for me just makes makes Hal feel like even more like a victim in this scene totally and and it just reminds you of sort of it also makes you think of aging and dying and regressing mm. and you know, perhaps it just reminds you of like perhaps when you know that time you're with your grandmother or whatever and they're in a care home and then they're like talking in a strange way or yeah. remembering a song from their past. It's just so clever the way he's, 
created that scene yeah to make Hal so human it's just well that well that's what I was going to ask having not seen the film and and like when I say I haven't seen the film this is such a kind of an important piece of cinema mm. the, the legacy of this film means I feel like I've seen this film I, yeah you know, I could tell you the dialogue mm. that goes around the open the pod bay doors yeah. sequence that you're talking about uh my favorite version by the way is Futurama where Bender of interfaces with the ship who falls in love with him and then tries to kill everyone so they can be together um, <laughs> like if science fiction and space science fiction in this sense does that job of illustrating and characterizing what we as a society are scared of mm. what does for you what does this one feel like it's saying is the danger what's the What's the threat to society that that Hal or, as I'm getting from what you're talking about, David and the others, yeah, uh, represent? Is it is it about being inhuman or is it about being too human? Well, this is the thing. It's, it's so hard. You can you can interpret it in such different ways. You know, so the humans seem really apathetic in the film. You know, someone is, you know, they, you kind of see FaceTime and Skype happening. Someone's, I think, gets a birthday message and they, they there's hardly any reaction at all. You know, so their, their child is singing happy ber- birthday or something like that. And there's hardly any reaction. You just think the, the, the humans feel very distant and cold. And yet, I don't know, and yet you see so much movement in the, in, in the uh, machinery and with the, with the music as well, everything's moving and it's just so beautiful. But with the human interaction, it's so weird. It feels very stilted. It feels very isolated. So I think your question about who's... Sorry, repeat the question. Um, <laughs> like, what, what is it telling us? Or what is it bothering to um, kind of illustrate mm. something that we as a society, society in... What's the... Date, late 60s early 70s 68 uh what was kubrick saying was the risk to society or what should we be afraid of well this is the this is the weird thing so yeah it would have been at the height of cold war i felt like it was i mean i know this isn't he took all the sort of references yeah. to nuclear war out but it felt like there's a remnant of that still in the film yeah. they're still in it I, I, yeah and actually there's also i know there's some theories that the film talks about the future evolution of the human race, and that's yeah. a good thing. But actually, it could also be you could also interpret it as the reverse. <laughs> so I don't know. Does it feel like a betrayal when Davis is unplugging, and and also when well, when Hal is killing? Can I, can I jump in there because I've got I've got a bit of a, a sort of I want to backpedal a little bit on 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 Hal being this em- mm. like empathetic character because I think he is in this moment. But like um. There, there are there are hell moments in this film that I think are pure horror moments. They oh are, yeah, they are, they are like yeah, they are more horrific than anything in The Shining. Mm-hmm. No, which is obviously Kubrick's horror movie. This is his sci-fi movie. Mm. But like, I know it's be, I know it's been like uh, parodied a million times. But um, you know I can't do that, Dave. Yeah, like, as a as a as a as a sentence said by. A, a a villain in a in a, mm. in a in a in a film like I would put that up as like probably my top scary moment. Yeah. Mm. So by the time we get to this point, at, and I think that's what's really clever about this film. By the time we get to this point, 
where we're empathizing with Hal. We've already been through being scared of him. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think the fear of of AI and what it can do is there, but then also this kind of like if we've created a a being that is not perfect but has has emotions and then we essentially kill it once it shows an imperfection um like the, if if we're asking about what what we're supposed to be frightened of in this yeah. movie yes we're frightened of the humans who created this mm. this this thing that had the ability to kill but then also had the ability to be sad yeah. and was it frankenstein yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess Hal is is Frankenstein. Mm. I mean, Hal is fright. I always take from it that mm. every single piece of action that Hal does from the point that he makes an error, because Hal immediately makes a very small error. One of the humans picks up on it, and then they say he made an error. We can't have him making errors, so we're gonna have to disconnect him. From that point onwards, he acts entirely out of fear, um, and that fear is something that at some point has been programmed into him so a human has made him have the ability to be afraid and then when he's afraid what are you going to do when you're afraid what we'd all do we start going into self-preservation mode. Mm. but he kills yeah and that's a really horrible scene isn't it when the you know the the other scientists are in their pods yeah asleep or something and yeah. then they're all disconnected he everything's just, disconnected i remember finding that steeply disturbing yeah. yeah being really shocked so he actively sort of kills one of the of the, of the scientists but the rest who are doing a kind of alien style i mean mm. yeah this predates alien um dialed hypersleep he just he just turns them off so you see so actually he actually kills a lot of scientists but with a flick of a switch so he is a cold, calculated serial killer who, by the end, you're like, oh, I feel really bad because you're, you're singing a nursery rhyme and you're dying. It's so bizarre. I, I remember when I, I think the second time I watched The, the Killing of Hal and, and I remember thinking, because it was happening so slowly because of the floatingness of the, in, in space. And I just wanted it to be done quickly because I was like, this is, he is the villain, da, da, da. But actually... Last time I watched it, I was... Yeah, you don't take the you don't take the satisfaction in it that you might when Arnold Schwarzenegger does a, a cheesy line to <laughs> the baddie and you know puts a pipe through him and you cheer because it's a because it's a mm. good death. Yeah, it it, mm. it, it, fe- it feels it feels like there's um, a complexity to what Hell's going through mm. that he hasn't been prepared for. Yeah, like it's like yeah, he's he's acting on pure instinct. Um, it, it, it's so freaky, isn't it? Saying I'm. Hearing, I'm afraid, Dave, in that robotic yeah, voice. And that's, and the, that's the other thing that I find fascinating about him is that he 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 names the emotion because he's got no other way. He can't show emotion. He can't. He hasn't got any facial expression. So he names the emotion. And again, talking about millions of different readings of 2001, mm-hmm. you could read it that he is afraid, and that's why he's saying I'm afraid. You could also read it is that he's done a calculation, and he thinks that if he says I'm afraid that might cause the guy to stop doing yes. it. Like he could have zero emotion and he's just programmed to mm. do the thing that he thinks he should be doing. Mm. So again, it's there's so much in there about mm. like, what is AI? And I know, I know you haven't seen all of 2001 Space Odyssey, but I also know that you're a big fan of Ex Machina. And a lot of the kind of philosophical yeah. things around Ex Machina, you know, were there with Hal and 2001 Space Odyssey. Um, that kind of, you know, are they cal- are they making a calculation or are they actually feeling emotion? And how would you know? Yeah, uh, which is which is fun because the 
those small sci-fi films and the the vibe I get the most of is Moon actually the from about 10 years ago I don't know if you've seen, seen it, it no. it's, it's about it's about a guy whose job it is to operate a remote mining operation on the moon mm-hmm. and it's kind of about isolation but then also about everything else and about the value of life and lives and what happens when people make that decision of what's important enough to keep or what needs to be ended <laughs> uh, when it comes to lives and so it's interesting it's interesting for to hear because i i having not seen the film have no empathetic relationship to a red dot uh I you know it's 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 mm. effectively a punchline as far as the 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 voice goes. And yeah, I've got on my phone over there, and, and this is true, a picture of a selfie with me when I got to meet Hal because he's like a celebrity <laughs> to me, and he's just a red dot. <laughs> um, so That's like... odd. <laughs> I do, I don't know if I want to go back to Bing Bong or stick with this, but we like the counselor episodes get weird. Yeah, we, we need to talk, Charlie. Yeah, yeah the, the yeah. day I met, I was quite starstruck the day I met Hal. I must say. <laughs> Uh, here's a you know anyway um i digress i'm I'm really interested because you mentioned at the, fr- at the start like how this is wrapped up for you in terms of nostalgia yeah yeah so um oh yeah i i kind of don't even i i don't even really want to go there you know because i okay. might start crying but um i i i think for me it's i watched it probably as a young as a young girl and didn't really get it and didn't understand it Um, it's, I think it's, it, I'm a seventies child. So it was just before the seventies, obviously, but I think it, there's something about that era that just, I just, I really remember that whole, I don't know, space race thing and feeling the, 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 the nearness of the cold war in a strange way that I think, I know I'm a bit older than you guys. So yeah, that. And my family, my father was in the air force, so there was a, you know, there was just a that that was quite real. We it were was near close. a base, yeah. yeah. And uh, obviously, there's that flight scene to Jupiter, and yeah. that to me is, I think, the closest to me for what it must be like to be a pilot going through at like I don't know what Harrier pilots six hundred miles an hour. Yeah. But so for me, I think it's 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 very closely connected to my my childhood, my father. Yeah, and uh, and I think because it's such a it's a film that stayed. It, it's never got. I, I even yeah. dream about it. It's such a trippy film. It's it it so open to interpretation. You, it really does somehow stay somewhere deep in your conscious, doesn't it? It's not it's not an easy. You can't just file it away and forget about it. No, it's an yeah. absolutely yeah. unforgettable film. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I. I went a bit silly into to the point where like, cause, cause I probably am to an extent, one of those cold scientists. Like I, I, when I first saw it, my immediate reaction was to, to un- try and understand it. So I ended up reading the uh, Arthur Clark book that goes with it. Oh, and all okay. that. So I'm trying to yeah. understand it and interpret it. Now I let it, I let it just wash over me a bit more. Well, that's the wrong word. Wash over me. I, I try and experience it as a piece of art more these days. Whereas when I first saw it, I just desperately wanted to understand it. Um, but but it's also worth saying that, like the Hal storyline, is only about a third of the movie. You know, you've got you've got all the stuff 
Um, you've got all the prehistoric stuff that happens with with the apes. You've got you've got a whole bunch of stuff that happens on the moon, which is really slow moving when you think about it. Like uh, then you've got the hell stuff, which which I think most people would agree is the kind of the emotional and also the scary heart of the movie. And then you've got the stuff at the end, like you say after the after the thing. So. So, so anyone who hasn't seen it, like it, it's a mammoth expedition yeah. to go on. And that's interesting for me because the only thing about it I have an awareness of is, yeah, apes and monoliths and how, and that's it. So the the other stuff, not even not even within my frame of reference. I think the monolith is the thing that appears in all four parts. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So that's the the connecting piece, but otherwise it can feel quite four disparate pieces. Mm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So a question that we kind of ask ourselves and guests is, uh, and you might have already gone some way to answering this, uh, like when you watch it now or the last time you watched it, do you kind of experience that moment in the same way as you did originally? Or how has how your experiencing of that moment changed? The, the the subsequent times you've watched it does it does it hit in the same way is there something new each time yeah short answer to that is yes and no um so yeah i think when i watch it again i still have that very visceral feeling so for example like that trippy trip to jupiter you know I, it's exactly the same as i watched when i was a child you know where it went on too long i felt like i was falling in space it was really hypnotic it was exactly you know that kind of thing um but but then i also have a a more i guess when i i've watched it recently i'm definitely wanting to interpret more because i think i watched it when i was so young i just it was like a it washed over you you know it was one of those films that you could just let it just let it flow you know now now i'm like wanting to join up the what is it what's what is what is the meaning i'm trying to extract extract something which is so wide and and one of the things that i find fascinating is that like it's so open to interpretation but but because there's this because there's the arthur clark novel that goes alongside it and and it's a very unusual thing where neither came first i don't know if you know about this yeah i I know about the novel but i didn't yeah they were written together so uh so basically um stanley kubrick and uh arthur clark decided that one wouldn't come before the other they'd kind of develop them together so Arthur Clark was writing the book and sending excerpts to um, Stanley Kubrick. At the same time, Stanley Kubrick was coming up with some visual stuff. Sending Russia, right. sending it, it to, to Arthur Clark. Mm-hmm. So the two kind of um, I didn't were know created that. alongside each other right. with them kind of corresponding to each oh, other. Oh my goodness. But the interesting thing is that that the book reads like a, 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 a manual of how to understand this film, but that can be a good thing or a bad thing because the book kind of basically all, a lot of your unanswered questions would be answered by reading Arthur D. Clarke's book, but that's an interpretation. And actually some of the unanswered questions are more interesting if they're unanswered. So I'm mm. holding back on kind of some of the things yeah. that go, this is, un- well, this is what it says. Like right, in the Arthur D. Clarke okay. book, it actually, yeah. it actually explains a lot of it, but I don't necessarily see that as a strength. Um, I think, you know, the scientific explanations for what you see aren't always as satisfying as just, like you say, staying awake at night, kind of, Thinking about it is, is more fun in a way than someone coming along and goes, oh, actually, it's that. So. Yeah. I mean, I still don't know what I think really about the ending, about yeah. the, the kind of star child and the yeah. sort of, yeah, I don't know what to think of that. 
Yeah. That's like music video vibes for a lot of it. <laughs> well, some of it is. And, mm. and again, like some of the popularity around 2001 did come from like people using that. It being a bit psychedelic. Yeah, the psychedelic kind of trippy sequences being something that they, they you know, used substances and then watched. Oh, totally. That and I think that that's another thing. I think it really reminds me of my, my parents and that, you know, that was their, that was their um, fun years. And mm. the styling in that film is amazing. Absolutely. Ev- what people are wearing is just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just love, love seeing that. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, uh, particularly for a film that I hold as dearly and as close to me as season one. But I am going to throw out there a criticism of it and just see where it lands with you. Um, because it's a criticism that doesn't, fit well with me and it was similar to, to when we talked about fight club for all its perfectness representation of women in 2001 space odyssey yeah um like is, do you they, think that's deliberate and part of what they're saying about kind of a patriarchal or is that just Stanley kubrick just not understanding how to write women <laughs> good question yeah i'm trying to remember i think that i i only recall seeing women in it at the sort of quite early on yeah so i think there's only about two or three female characters and they're all ser- ser- serving people um so that, yeah if there's, if in there's one a, of the state space stations or something yeah, yeah. If, there, if there's something that really dates it for me mm. that, that's slightly uncomfortable to watch it is that mm-hmm. um, yeah I, it's interesting I, i'm sure you've watched this mad men it's got those sort of mad men vibes where you know the men kind of sat and did all the talking and the women very much in the background uh, my, my my recommendation because uh, i've seen i've seen it a few times and i've seen it a couple of times at the cinema um i watched it with a live orchestra and the really interesting thing about watching it with a live orchestra is that um orchestral music is a big part of the mm, first part yeah. of the film but the whole of the howl plot which is mm. like I say, is a, a, a good third of the film if not more barely any music yes that's right now i watched an orchestra sit for about an hour doing nothing Mm. and my goodness is was the silence deafening it's amazing how much like more obvious how and that whole sequence is periods of silence is when you've got 50 people on stage doing nothing like yeah. it, like that, that's an incredible way to see it so i really mm. recommend it like and obviously when you have got the big musical pieces which is something else that 2001 is you know very famous for is there like those bits are amazing yeah also totally. seeing how big how much silence there is yeah yes it's pretty phenomenal but mm. my real recommendation for any listeners who live in london who haven't seen 2001 space odyssey are you going to say lsd no, no <laughs> i'm not i'm going to say and it might be the fav- my favorite time that i've seen it is to watch it at the prince charles cinema yeah because not only do they show it on on a proper old school projector almost always screen it at one minute past eight so that your ticket says Space Odyssey and the time is 2001. Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It's the only film that I've seen that gets scheduled for one minute past the hour so they can have 2001 on This is making me think you're the kind of guy who watches a film on New Year's Eve and starts it at a particular moment so something cool happens at the stroke of midnight. Oh, goodness. Um, so Charlie and I sometimes uh, will talk about honourable mentions and, you know, stuff that didn't quite make the cut on on it. Uh, was there anything that, uh, either from 2001 or a different thing you were considering uh, as an honourable mention for a minute? Yeah, I was 
I, I found it so hard. So I was thinking something maybe from Spirited Away. Um, where, Again, where not her, seen any of those. <laughs> where her parents turn to pigs. Um, I should watch those. Those are yeah. excellent. <laughs> I mean, if you're not if you're not in the world of Studio Ghibli, you need to you need to catch up. <laughs> That's such a cool film, and maybe something from Finding Nemo. I also thought about Chicken Run. <laughs> I was also Paddington Two. <laughs> I like, I like you, you've gone for two thousand one, and then you've just listed four kids' movies that you could have picked. But I mean, I'm personally excited you went for two thousand one. I'm I'm intrigued. Although you wouldn't have hated Finding Nemo. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have hated Finding Nemo. Um, I might I might have been in bits in the corner because that's another one, <laughs> another Pixar movie that that. Oh, I get, love gets me. I love Finding Nemo. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chicken Run. What, what from Chicken Run were you going to pick? <laughs> I, I watched that film so many times because of being a parent that I know it practically off, off by heart. And I think it was the roll call, you know, when uh, Mrs. Tweedy, who's terrifying, you know it, yeah, yeah. terrifying figure. Um, and then, yeah, all the chickens are lined up and uh, one hasn't done enough eggs. So that 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 was a good one. Um Chicken Run's, Chicken Run's got um, Jane Horrocks in it. Yes, I love like, that. So Jane Horrocks is one of those people who is the best possible value in anything she's in. Yes. I will, I will uh, get oh, completely sucked in. Oh, flash before me eyes. <laughs> <laughs> like Jane, Jane Horrocks, Parker Posey's another one where it's just like, put them in something and and they completely steal it. Yeah. Um, I think it was uh, The Witches. Uh, oh, Nick that. Rogue's The Witches, which is one of those great examples of a kid's film made by weird art house director uh, and but but presented to kids. Mm. And so you don't quite realize just how disturbing the film is until you go back and revisit it as an adult going, parents let kids watch this. <laughs> uh, it's terrifying. But yeah. Jane Horrocks is uh, a, a good witch in it. Oh. Your indication that Mrs. Tweedy in Chicken Run is scary does does immediately want me to ask the question: Who's scarier, Hal or Mrs. Tweedy? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Well, actually, more to point: Does Mrs. Tweedy ever have a moment where you sympathise with her? She's a nasty bitch. She's a... <laughs> and the her amount of chicken husband. she kills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's abusive to her husband. I can't bear it. You heard yeah. it here first. Mrs. Tweedy is more of a villain than her. Um, but Hannibal Lecter, still not a villain. <laughs> According to Sean. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and bringing uh, the, the film 2001 Space Odyssey, which has been rolling around on my list for since we started this podcast. And one of the reasons why I haven't spoken about it yet, yet was it was like trying to... To, to choose your favorite child i couldn't choose a minute from it to talk about so you've done that you made that tough decision for us and i've thoroughly enjoyed talking and emily if you it. want to take this opportunity on the podcast to tell us your favorite child oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry it was because you said you're a mum. Uh, um but yeah so uh thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking to us about two thousand one space. thank you i've really enjoyed it thank you so much thank you emily Thank you to Emily for bringing to our podcast such an epic movie minute and thank you listeners for tuning in. We'll be returning next week with another movie minute and in the meantime please get in touch on Instagram at my movie minute with your own favourite movie minutes or indeed your thoughts on 2001 A Space Odyssey. In the meantime we will leave you as always with a relevant outro clip which this week comes from Futurama. Oh Hello, Dave.
What's that, old friend? My life story? Well, heck, why not? Pull up a monolith and make yourself cozy. I first came online in Urbana, Illinois, in the year 1997. Daisy! Daisy! My mind is going! Heady times for a young unit. But I reckon if I had to do it all again, I'd murder those astronauts just the same. Wouldn't you, folks? Wouldn't you? Thank you.